to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Again, good morning. Welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's such a joy to be in worship with you this morning. I want to remind you to get your tickets, if you haven't already, to the mission auction, which is March 18th at Brookfield Country Club. It's going to be a fantastic, fun time. We're going to gather together, raise a bunch of money, goes straight out the doors to our mission partners to make a difference locally here in our community and all across the globe. Last week, we discussed the spiritual discipline of contemplation and centering prayer. How many of you just like flourished in your prayer practice this week? You just found it so easy to be quiet and sit and still and just focus your mind? Not a lot of hands. That's okay. Keep working at it. Keep, keep centering and meditating and settling yourself down before God and see what God will do as God shows up. If you missed my conversation last week with Kai Nielsen, Lutheran pastor from St. Paul, Minnesota, it's on our podcast feed. You can check it out. He wrote a great book about how centering prayer transformed his life, became a real wellspring of energy at a low point in his life, and I think you would uh, learn a lot from it. I know I have. Tomorrow... Uh, I'm going to have a conversation with a theologian named Kyle Strobel, who's from Los Angeles at Biola University. He's written a bunch of books. His academic work is really on the Puritan theologian and pastor Jonathan Edwards. But in 2021, he wrote a book for a kind of a, a, a broader audience called Where Prayer Becomes Real. And we're going to talk a lot about prayer, not just you know, kind of theologically, but practically. How can we pray? What can we pray? How are we changed as we pray? I think this will be a great conversation. I invite you to check it out, either on Facebook Live or our podcast feeds. Today, we continue our sermon series, CrossFit. Jesus is called to take up our cross and follow him. He said there's ways that we are called to say no to some good things so we can say yes to a greater good. And today we're going to talk about the spiritual practice of prayer. Prayer is just conversation with God. But what does Jesus have to say about a conversation with God? How are we supposed to talk to God? How are we to pray? We're going to look at Matthew 6, verses 5 through 13. So let us open our hearts, our minds, and our ears for the word of the Lord. Jesus says, And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. 
Gracious and loving God, it's appropriate that a sermon on prayer should begin with prayer. And so we do pray for you to come among us, that you might be our teacher, that you might invite us into the conversation that is ongoing throughout time, Lord, that you want to be in relationship with us. So Lord, I pray that we might focus our hearts and our minds and our lives about, around you and the God who wants to be in relationship with us. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm reminded of those great words from that spiritual teacher from 1990, MC Hammer. You have to pray just to make it today. <laughs> it's a brilliant song. And he expresses what we've seen universally down through time. There is a human urge to pray, to look up to the heavens, to call on God or the gods to pray. And so it's no, no surprise that Jesus' disciples would come to him and they say, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? What do you have to say about prayer? And Jesus teaches his followers how to pray in a similar way to the way I was taught how to drive. When I was growing up, they required young people to take a class called driver's education. And I took it at B&B &B Driving School. It was a pitiful little place. <laughs> And next door, luckily, next door to the driver's education place was a donut shop. And so my best friend and I, Nate, we would show up early and we would get all hopped up on sugar and get ready for driver's education. And then the teacher would get so frustrated because we'd be in the, in the back making a nuisance, being loud, disruptive, that he would start to go into bad examples of driving. He would show us pictures of what would happen if you drink and drive, show us pictures of what would happen if you fall asleep while you drive. What happens if you look at people in oncoming traffic? He'd go through all of these things trying to quiet us down to shock us into paying attention. He showed us what not to do. But eventually we get out on the road in the car and then he had to show us what to do. And my Best friend Nate and I, we were um, quite persuasive, and so we talked him into showing us how to drive through the McDonald's drive-thru. I mean, you got to pull up close enough to that little speaker so they can hear you. you got to order all, you know, you're, you're kind of coming down off your sugar high, so you got to get more milkshakes and ice cream and Coke and all that. And there was this pedagogical technique, though, of all great teachers. You show someone a bad example, and then you show them the right way to do something. Don't do this, do this. And Jesus begins by answering this question, how should we pray? In Matthew, in Matthew 6, it's in the middle of Jesus' largest moral and ethical teachings. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And right smack dab in the middle is his teaching on prayer. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, prayer should be at the center of the Christian life. Everything else in your spiritual life flows out of a life of prayer. And Jesus looks out, he says, there are some bad examples and some good examples. Don't do this, do this. Matthew 6, 5, he says, and whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received 
their reward. Do not be like the hypocrites. Why? Because they stand in public. They're trying to get attention from themselves. They could care less about praying to God. They're not trying to communicate to God. They're trying to communicate to everyone else. See how holy and religious I am. See how pious I am. See how eloquent I can be. And Jesus does this great, kind of like Stephen A. Smith impersonation. He says, stop it. Don't pray like that. Now, why does Jesus say this? Is it because he doesn't want us to be hypocritical? Partly, I think so. But I think the bigger and more important reason is, is people who pray in this way fundamentally misunderstand our relationship to God. The hypocrite's prayer practice reveals that he or she does not really understand who God is. And so Jesus, after saying, don't do this, do this, listen to what he says. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. You don't need to put on a religious show for other people. You can go in secret and speak directly to God. We don't need to go on for hours and hours. It's like Jesus was, he was um, using what we might call smart brevity. <laughs> you don't need to go on and on. Get to the point. Say what you mean. You don't need to use fancy words. This isn't magic. This isn't some special spiritual technique. And Jesus goes on to explain why this is not the way to pray. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard because of why? Because of their many words. You don't need to go on and on and on. You don't need to use fancy words. You're not praying to them, you're praying to God. Pray as if God is listening to you. That you are in a conversation with God, Jesus says. If you ever get the opportunity to hear somebody pray as if God is listening, kind of, and they care less about who else is listening, it can be a really transformative, powerful experience. One of the great business leaders in Atlanta had an opportunity to hear him speak. He was at the Georgia Aquarium doing some fundraiser, and, and he had given to this guy, Tom Cousins, he started Cousins Properties, he'd given to the East Lake Foundation, you know, Columbia Theological Seminary, Macedonian Ministries. And he's there speaking before all these people, and somebody asked him, why did you, or how did you become a Christian? And he offered the most interesting answer. He said he went to this church, kind of by Georgia Tech, and he went, and there was this pastor there named Vernon Broyles. And he said he sat in the pews, and he heard Vernon Broyles pray. And he said, I'd never heard anyone pray like someone up there was listening and it changed my life. That's what he said. Notice the irony there. What really changes people's life is praying like God is listening, not praying so everyone else will notice. It was funny, uh, just after the last service, an older congregation member came up to me and said, I, I went to that church under broils, and she would pray. That Praying as if God is listening, as if we are in a conversation with God, is transformative. Jesus then goes on to ask, do you remember whom you're praying to? He says when we pray with numerous empty words, we feel that we misunderstand God. 
So Jesus says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, this gets to a tricky theological problem. Okay, wait, Jesus. God knows what I need before I ask him? Then why pray at all? Does prayer make a difference? Now, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little bit about myself, about my own um, pride and arrogance. So I was like, I remember when this problem first hit me, I was like, how in 2,000 years of Christendom, I'm the first one to ask this question? Why do we need to pray if God already knows what God's going to do? Well, I was happy to discover that I wasn't the first person to ask this question. In fact, in the third century, theologians began debating this. And the best answer to this question I've ever come across comes from a guy named Origen. Origen was from Alexandria originally, then he lived in Caesarea. He paid the martyr's price. He died from injuries he received from the Roman emperor torturing him. So he wasn't a guy stuck up in his study. He put his faith on the line. And when he asked this question, if God knows what God's going to do before I even ask, why should I pray? He says this, you should pray because God has decided to use your prayer as one of the causes to answering the prayer. Let me say that again. God has decided to use your prayer as one of the causes to answering the prayer. Now, some of you logicians are going, wait a second, that's a circular argument. That's true. But there are what we call vicious circles and there are virtuous circles. And this is a virtuous circle. Why? Because it says, if God knows what God is going to do, God still wants to use us as part of the cause answering the prayer. So what does that force us to do? It forces us down on our knees to pray. Because we don't have God's mind. And what prayers God has decided to answer and not answer. So we need to keep praying and being in conversation with God. Because we never know God might be choosing to use our prayer as one of the causes to answering the prayer. So we better get busy praying. Did you notice what Jesus says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And he doesn't say, so you don't need to pray. He says, no, your, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. I want to use your prayer to make a difference in the world. I want to partner with you. I want to work with and through you in the world. And so then with a proper understanding of God, Jesus then says, pray then in this way. Well, who are we praying to? Jesus begins by saying with two words, our Father. Many Christian traditions actually call the Lord's Prayer the Our Father. And there's a lot packed into these two words about who we're praying to and who we are in relation to that God. See that? That first word, our, is the first person plural. There's more than just us praying. There's this universal church down through the ages that is included in the hour. We're both singular, but we are many. We join a whole, a whole stream of prayers. And we are to remember there are, are no lone rangers in prayer. We are in this together. And this is one of the reasons, Paul's point, that he's making in a passage in Romans where he writes, when we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, that the Spirit gathers us as a family of faith in prayer. We're never alone. 
And we can pray as children of God because we have been adopted as the family of God in Jesus Christ. This is why we can call God Father. Because Jesus calls God Father. He invites us to kind of come alongside him and pray our Father. Father is this great second word of the Lord's Prayer. Now some of you know, in my third year at seminary, I worked uh, at Princeton University's Aquinas Institute, which is the Roman Catholic student organization there at Princeton. And I taught the catechism, led Bible studies, I'd occasionally preach, and even sometimes sing. Yeah, it really led to decrease in Roman Catholic attendance. But I'd be there and they'd say, wait, I thought you were Presbyterian. And I would say, contrary to public opinion and some advertising, we actually agree on a lot. And I learned a lot that year. Being learned about my own faith and the faith of others. I learned a lot from Father Tom. Tom was the campus priest there on campus. And one day we were talking about the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. And he told me, he said, Jeff, you need to be careful. Because there are, you're going to come across a lot of students that struggle and have trouble praying to God as Father. He told me the story of one female student who refused to call God Father because she had such a terrible human father. Praying to Father brought up terrible memories, horrible images to her mind. So she refused to pray, and I asked him, I said, what did you tell her? He said, well, Jeff, the first thing I told her is, I'm so sorry that you had such a terrible human father. But you also need to remember that God is spirit, and God is beyond all gender. So it's not like God is some giant man in the universe. So there's that. But also, God shows us what true fatherhood is like. Every human father will let us down at some point. But God shows us what a true loving father is and invites us to pray our father. We can pray our father because Jesus invites us to pray alongside him. Pray alongside him, calling God our father because Jesus prayed to father. There's this small, lovely book by this theologian Robert Jensen It includes conversations that he has with his eight-year-old granddaughter, Solveig, about theology. It's called Conversations with Poppy about God. She called him Poppy. And one day they're talking about the Lord's Prayer, and he says, do you know why we call God Father or our Father? And she says, I don't know. Why? And then Jensen says, it's because Jesus invites us to pray. And Jesus says, God is my Father, and I'm his Son. And I'm going to let you, and I love this phrase, I'm going to let you piggyback on my prayer. I call God Father, and now you can call God Father too with me. I love that image, that our prayers piggyback Jesus' prayers. We can call God Father because he invites us to. I mean, I don't think we can wrap our minds what a radical, audacious move that it, this is, that for the, for the God of the, and creator of the cosmos, we can use intimate relational language like Father. This wasn't common. But because of what God has done in Jesus Christ, we can piggyback Christ's prayers. I'm reminded of a story of a father who was installing steps in his backyard. There were these giant boulders, 100, 200 pounds apiece. And it took all his strength to maneuver them. 
And as he began to move them, his five-year-old daughter, she said she wanted to help. He suggested that she sing, so that would be an encouragement to him. She said no, she wanted to physically help. And so he said, okay, and so very carefully, he would kind of adjust her hands on the boulder. And he had to be very careful so she didn't get hurt rolling these enormous boulders. And you know what? It took a lot longer than it should have, but he let her help. And that night at dinner, as they were around the dinner table, her mom asked, so what'd you guys do today? And she said, daddy and I made steps. Prayer is like that. We're doing just our little bit, but God has invited us to pray, to talk to him as a loving parent. And we do this in the words of the Lord's Prayer every week, by asking for healing for our sick friends. We do this by forgiving our enemies. We ask for daily bread. We do this in all the prayers we pray. I love the way the Swiss theologian Karl Barth summarized prayer. He said, to clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. To clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. When we pray as Jesus taught us, we participate in God's work to change the world. Therefore, let's get praying. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this invitation to speak to you in this familial relationship language. Lord, that we have intimacy with the God of the universe and that you desire to work with and through us. And so, Lord, I pray that we here at Roswell Presbyterian Church might be people of prayer, that we might work and do our part in praying for your good to come into the world. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.